This is the More to the Story podcast with Dr. Andy Miller. We hope you guys enjoyed today's conversation. Welcome to the More to the Story podcast. I'm glad you're here. And look, I'm just trying to make everybody mad with this episode of More to the Story because we are going to talk about denominations and their use of prohibitions. Oh, that's a strong word. Prohibitions against the consumption of alcohol. Hold on. This is going to be fun. Now, uh, I have with me on the podcast today, Reverend. I haven't called you that very much. Elijah Friedemann. Elijah, welcome to the podcast. It's good to be here. And you haven't had long to call me Reverend. I'm a brand new elder in the Church of the Nazarene. Oh, there so, it is. Yeah, Absolutely. And I didn't realize this was the Making People Angry podcast, <laughs> or I might not have agreed to be on here. So thanks for, oh, thanks for saying that not. on camera now. So I think there'll be a lot of people just saying amen. Amen. Yeah. I, I think it's just uh, the whole the point. Maybe, maybe it'll make some people angry. But my hope is that it'll encourage others. Like that's really where we're wanting to point people to. Yeah, so, and, and we're kind of, this is our first time having this set up. So we're look like we might be in an adversarial stance, but I don't think we are. I, think I don't think so. We'll see. We'll see if there's any distinction here we can draw out. It'll be fun. So before we get into that, I just want to mention our sponsors for the More to Story podcast. Um, so my friend Bill Roberts is a financial planner, and you can find his information in our show notes. He's somebody who works particularly with ministry leaders and helping them achieve their financial goals, make sure they're planned, planning in the right way. So you can find him at Bill H. Rob, WilliamHRoberts.com, at WilliamHRoberts.com. And in addition to Bill Roberts being a sponsor, we are thankful to have the sponsorship of Wesley Biblical Seminary, where Elijah and I work. Elijah, since you are the vice president for enrollment, why don't yes. you tell us a little about Wesley Biblical Seminary? Absolutely. So, so WBS offers degrees all the way from programs for lay people, you know, right, pursuing right. a degree. They just want to audit a course. Uh, we have a very easy way to do that, or they want to start just taking taking some courses. We can do that. Or they can do a graduate certificate, master's degrees, uh, master of arts in divinity, right. or they can pursue a doctoral program. And we have a brand new undergraduate program, the college yep. at WBS. So we have all these options, and our whole goal is to develop leaders for the church and for the mission of what God's doing. So if people are interested, um, that we have really easy ways, no, no application fees to start the process. So right, people right. can just jump in and begin to explore. So the best place to do that is wbs.edu. Yep. People can learn more information and then take the next step and explore, apply, do whatever they want to do. So what makes WBS distinct? I mean, why? I mean there's 250 plus seminaries in the Association of Theological Schools in the United States. What, what's why, why should they come to WBS? You know, I was telling somebody about this the other day because um, they, they, they asked if I liked working at WBS. I said, absolutely. They said, yeah. do you really believe in WBS? Which is a good question. I think that's a, that's a very perceptive question. Yeah. And I said, absolutely. There's a couple of reasons. One, our commitment to the authority of Scripture, right. that the, the Bible is the fully true, uh, entirely authoritative Word of God for our lives. The second is to the work of the Spirit that He can do in our lives that right. can transform us from the very core of who we are. But even beyond that, I think there's a formational aspect to WBS that's different than any other seminary I've seen. Right. Uh, even though a lot of our students don't live here, there's discipleship groups and connection points um, that, that really just build this, this spiritual formation and this yes. depth into people's lives that I have never seen at another Christian college yep. or seminary. So I think right. that's unique. Um, both our professors and then the students who are formed by the professors and who are in ministry in their own right are just approaching this whole theological education process from a different perspective yeah. and consequently being formed differently. I think that's unique. So I would love the chance to talk to people more about what formation looks like here at WBS right. and why it's different. That sets us apart. I love it. Yeah, that is great. It certainly is an emphasis. And people will be in multiple formation groups across their time yeah. at WBS if they're able to come. And speaking of formation— we're going to transition now to what I what I'm I, I'm just teasing people a little bit 
toward this idea of this being controversial because I want you to share this. And I want you to like it. I want you to get some – it's clickbait, I guess. But formation is really kind of the big principle, one of the big principles behind some of denominations like ours. So, Elijah, maybe in a second I can have you tell, talk about Foundry, the church that mm-hmm. you've started just here in the Jackson area. Um, it's a part of the Nazarene denomination. I'm a, I have grown up in. I'm a sixth-generation soldier in the Salvation Army, which is a unique denomination. And a part of the formative task for me growing up, but also like in the way that I led Salvation Army churches for 15 years, was this little clause that we have in our Articles of Faith. This come, this is true both for a seven-year-old who becomes what's called a junior soldier in the Salvation Army and people 14 and up who become what's called senior soldiers in the Salvation Army. They say something like this. I will abstain from alcoholic drink, tobacco, the non-medicinal use of addictive drugs, gambling, pornography, the occult, which interesting to include that in there, <laughs> and all else that could enslave the body and mm. spirit. Mm. Boy, what a legalistic, narrow-minded denomination, I guess that is. But I was, I'm was i delighted to find it's not just the Salvation Army who's so narrow-minded, right? The Nazarene yeah, Church. Yeah, the Nazarene. It's kind of a shrinking number because used to evangelicals, go back 50, 60 years, yeah. were pretty much united on the topic of alcohol. Uh, so Absolutely, mainline yeah. denominations, not so much, but evangelicals were pretty united. Now that's shifted. So we're part of a couple of the last few holdouts on, yeah. on this topic, which is really interesting. And, and we'll see if there's still holdouts in another 10, 20 years. Now, you're part, t- tell us a little about Foundry, just so we can have a little context for who you are as we start this interview. Yeah, so I led a team to start Foundry Church about three and a half years ago. Yeah, We're a church of about 120 right now coming out of covid uh, mostly 18 to 30 year olds. So okay. I would guess on a Sunday, something like 65, 70% or more of the people who attend on a Sunday are 18 to 30 year olds. Okay. And so that's kind of how our ministry is oriented. That's who we're trying to reach. We have others coming. And so that with, on the topic of alcohol, for instance, that's yeah, interesting because yeah. most 18 to 30 year olds are going to be wide open, even if they're strong Christians, right, gonna be right. wide open to drinking. It's going to be the rare one who isn't. So that's created an interesting context for having a church that holds to a position where we're teetotalers. Yeah, we don't sure. Drink. In Foundry Church, just to, so people can get a feel for it, you wouldn't say Foundry Nazarene Church. Like it's kind of like it is a part of who you are and a part of your, a part of your accountability. You're part of that denomination, but even your branding doesn't necessarily utilize that. As yeah, a part so of it's your... it's on our website. We don't hide it. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it'll come up if anyone's perceptive. They're going to pick up on that pretty fast. But we don't lead with that. We're not talking about denominational initiatives. Yes. Uh, our goal is to reach people who don't know Jesus, to lead right. people to live and love like Jesus is what we say. So we're going to do whatever it takes to do that. And leading with the denomination, it doesn't help do that. So right. we don't lead with it. But very, it's very much who we are. It's in our DNA. Yeah. And especially at the leadership level, we've got about seven or eight people coming up through the ordination process of the Church okay. of the Nazarene. Awesome. So we're committed. We're bought in. Uh, we're all about what the denomination is doing, what God's doing through the denomination around the world. Amen. So like that, that's in part the rationale for joining a denomination, being part of the denomination. There's an accountability structure. There is also this sense that you are part of something bigger in the world. And in my denomination, we're 133 countries. And there's like this sense that we're a part of something that's great, that God's doing and God's working through this process. And so here's what ends up happening for me. Like, so back to the alcohol piece, especially Ken, like when we have a statement like this, and I imagine the Nazarene church's statement is something similar. It, it is something that I'll admit, like through my 15 years as a Salvation Army officer, I didn't talk about much. Maybe there was a half dozen sermons where I mentioned for probably less than two minutes this, this fact. Um, it mainly came in the context of relationships that I had with people as they were becoming 
members of the Salvation Army Church. Now, we have some interesting ways we describe membership in the Salvation Army, but soldiership is a time where people make a covenant with God and through the ministry of the Salvation Army that they are going to be members of the Salvation Army Church. These are folks who have an opportunity, like me, who can wear a Salvation Army uniform, but they commit to the 11 Articles of Faith. Um, on a past podcast, we also talked about how one of the statements— says that we'll uphold the sanctity of marriage and family life. These other statements talk about like tithing, uh, other kind of things that we'd say like need to be exhibited in the life of a member of the church or what we call a soldier. And so that's where this statement comes up. But I'll say like generally when we get to a place where we're, we're walking through, I, I might have a 14-year-old. My own son was enrolled as a soldier a couple of months ago. And then um, I've had others who are, you know, maybe even senior citizens who are walking through this. And I always get to a place where we go through a class. It's a kind of a process where we work through the 11 articles of faith that the Salvation Army have and all these statements of lifestyle commitments that they make. And we get to that line. And I've often had it be the case that when I say this line, people are like, um, no thanks. It's when they realize they're joining a cult, not a church. <laughs> they say, oh, hold up. What's this? <laughs> Thankfully, there's other cults. Too. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. It's that's not right. just a Salvation Army. So we get to that place. Now, here's what's here. I, I'm going to fully admit like how I've treated this. I've almost apologized for it. Hmm. I've been apologetic because I don't want it to seem that like I'm saying that, and I believe this to be the case, it's not a sin to drink alcohol in most cases. Right? It's not a sin. And same thing is with smoking. I don't want to, in our day, to come across as judgmental. Right, That's, of course, of the key thing. We don't want to be in a position where we're looking down on other people. And so I've tread very lightly on this. I've talked about Jesus turning water into wine. Of course, there's all these instances that are around. So I want to be very cautious. But I say this is an extra biblical commitment that people are making, and it's been nothing but a blessing in my life. To, to grow up this way and also to be able to have the fruit of this in my life. Now, so that's how I've gone about it. And some people, you know, interesting enough, as I've gone through this, some people have said, yeah, then soldiership, this covenant, not for me. But then I have others who have stopped drinking because of it. And they've come back to me later and said what a blessing it is. So I, I'm just kind of like acknowledging at the start here, like my own uneasiness with this statement. But at the same time, I'm here today, and I think you're in a similar place, to almost defend it, yeah. to say like, maybe this is something that our society needs. Maybe this is a good thing. Let me l ask you to reflect on that, even your own experience at the with the Nazarene Church. Yeah, I, I would say my experience is similar. So we, we don't emphasize membership at okay. Foundry, okay. largely because of this right here. Uh, okay. First of all, mem membership's not really well known. I mean, it's like it, for our generation, who we're trying to reach, right, the, right. why become members? Members is what you have in a country club, and we're not we're not rich enough to be in a country club yet. So, you know, what what does this mean, membership? So, we would rather people be actively involved in ministry and engaged and growing in those ways, yes, than be a member. Amen. Sign on a dotted yeah, yeah. line, right? But we still talk about it. It's still something that comes up. And when we present it, our membership covenant is, is essentially borrowed from Rick Warren. Uh, that's okay, most people okay. use that one. We edited it a little bit to fit us. And one of the things we say is we're gonna we will uphold the, the witness of the church by doing these things, including sacrificially abstaining from alcohol and tobacco products. Okay. And that word sacrificially is key because we want people to know we give up what we like to gain what we love. Amen. And what we love in this community is people coming to Jesus. And a lot of people in our community, and this is how we couch it, a lot of people in our community, a lot of people in the community surrounding us have substance issues, substance abuse issues yes, in their past. Yes, yes, So at Foundry, I don't know if this is still true. For a while it was definitely true. Probably 50% of our people had substance abuse issues in their past. Wow. And so in a community like that, we don't want to 
invite someone to go to a small group and there be wine shared, right? That's not going to be helpful. Right. We don't right. want people drinking to see other people drinking, and so we we've we've taken a pretty strong stance. So even though a lot of people don't become members, uh, not necessarily because of that, just because they don't see the need of it. Uh, when you get up into leadership at Foundry beyond a very basic level, we start putting stipulations on how you what you do with alcohol. Yeah. So at the very basic level, it's you're not going to do this around anyone else from the church, not because we're doing it in secret, but because of we want to uphold our community. But a step beyond that, we just say you're going to abstain from it entirely, and we recognize it's a sacrifice. It's right, above right, and beyond right, right. what the gospel requires right, to be a Christian. Right, right, right. But it's something we value, something we think is important for our community. I mean, should we do things that are above and beyond? I just my little devil's advocate moment here. Should we do things that are above and beyond the gospel? You know, for for any pastor who's ever preached on tithing, <laughs> you're, that's an, that is an above and beyond thing. There's yeah, a principle sure. of tithing in the right, Old Testament, right, right, which of course is like shows up a couple places, and those are the places we always preach from. I think tithing is good. I think it's a baseline. I think we should right. go beyond it. Uh, but it's not really a New Testament biblical Right, yeah, you have a hard time pushing that. Yeah, and so there's a lot of things we do like that. I mean, there's nowhere in the Bible that says you absolutely have to have community. In fact, there's a lot of places in the Bible that talk about um, you know, where people God calls people to go into isolation, or God calls Jesus to go out to the wilderness. So why do we expect or ask people to get into community? Well, we, we see the value in it. There's right, value sure. in this for our church, even though you can point to places where there maybe there's value for times of, of solitude right, as well. Right, right. So I, I, this, to me, this, is, this falls in the same category. It's like a very clear biblical principle right, that right. alcohol is dangerous, and it can lead to really bad things. For the sake of our community, we're going to abstain from it. Now, this is what's interesting. You mentioned like your congregation, 50% be involved in alcohol, uh, having having addictions in their past at least. Now, that's similar to the Salvation Army. I've actually not had much trouble convincing people outside of the Salvation Army why it's valid for us to do it because people pretty clearly connect the Salvation Army to a recovery community, yeah. the fact that we're serving people who have come off the street. I mean, it's just a reality. Like in a couple, not this Sunday, but the next Sunday, my family will go serve at the Salvation Army Shelter will do a service there. Most of the people there are working through re, um, their own rehab and working through challenges in their life with this. And so it's always been incredibly clear to me, even from a child, like I just saw the front lines of this incredibly clearly that people often were led to a place of their lives being ruined by alcohol or and by drugs and a, a key kind of like philosophical foundation for me came when a line and i read this actually in a salvation army publication that just said and it, it this isn't any new new thing to anybody but simply every alcoholic begins my dad said this to me actually when i was 14 years old becoming a salvation army soldier every alcoholic begins with one drink he might have read that to me out of this little handbook that he had there but to me i mean that's incredibly clear like it all, all begins with one drink. Is that too simple, Elijah? I, I think it, it runs the risk of being simplistic. I think yeah, simple is yeah. okay. Simplistic in the sense that how many other people take a sip and then they, they end up fine, right? Right, And that's sure. going to be the pushback. Um, but I was talking to a friend recently, and she, she does drink. She's a, she's a young millennial Christian. She does drink. Right. But she's in a counseling program. Said she was reading about substance abuse. And the number one predictor or the number one correlating factor with whether someone grows up to be an alcoholic is if they grew up with alcohol in the house. Hmm. Which would go back to the one sip idea, right? Of course, yeah, tons yeah. of people do grow up with alcohol in the house and right, don't become right. alcoholics. But when you look at the people who do, that's the main correlating factor across the board. And so I would say that to me, that or the one sip thing, if you don't open that door, you're not going to end up in a bad place. Right. Interesting. And I think yeah. a lot of times uh, people who aren't alcoholics view that as maybe something that deals with people who are on the street or alcoholics. But 
it's pervasive. Right. I mean, uh, substance abuse and alcohol abuse in our culture is pervasive, and the consequences of it are all around us. We just tend to ignore them. Right. I mean, shoot, COVID right now, right? How many people are freaked out about COVID? We're taking right. actions on it. And I get it. That's It's legitimate to, to take actions on it. It has upended our nation and our world for the last year and a half. Right. Or almost coming up on two years, and soon it'll be two years. But, uh, you know, how many people have we had in the U.S. die at this point from COVID? Maybe 600,000 or yeah, sure. 650,000. So not to brush that aside, but every single year due to alcohol consumption in the U.S., we have 100, almost 100,000 people die. Just from consumption, yeah, from consumption, well, and, and then the things that that causes okay. everything from hundred thousand from yeah from so the CDC would say ninety five thousand right um, everything from drunk driving to diseases caused by it to homicides that have that as as the main factor uh, contributing right, to right. it so that's I mean that's massive right as a social it's like that's a hundred thousand human beings dying from this thousand. one thing that it doesn't add much benefit actually I would say any benefit to people's lives mm. any real benefit. But we want to claim Christian liberty and hey, you know, don't don't tread on me kind of thing. That the classic American individualism, and right. it, it just doesn't resonate. I think as Christians, we're called to consider how our actions, even if they don't hurt us, could affect right. the world around us. Don't, don't you think though? People might put position this as well. This seems Andy and Elijah. This just seems legalistic. And here you have like this pushing forward this statement about. Um, alcohol and tobacco. These, why don't you just throw playing cards in there too and a certain number of hours of video games that you're not allowed to have or whatever it is. And like it, it does seem like, and some people could see this in listening to us, just hear it as this extra legalism or, or traces. And normally the word holiness movement is not used in a positive yeah. way, like traces of the holiness movement being there. But, you know, it's interesting as you think about even like the tobacco side. I remember a time. See, I'm I'm an old millennial. I, I I've sometimes I'm not included in the millennial list, and it, you we're at the opposite sides of millennialism. Uh, like I'm like barely in. And, I'm not sure if you're allowed to have a little gray in your beard. Oh, considered a millennial still. I think that's it's there. The, it's, I guess I'm out. <laughs> but wait, I, you're close though to being Gen Z. I'm close. I'm still millennial. Let me educate you, my son. Oh, thank and you. Yes, a few things. yes. So this is how oh, it goes. Oh, great one. Tell me the, tell me what, how the, the world works. The gray beard will tell you a little <laughs> bit how this works. So I remember a time, like I st when I was probably still in, in elementary school and middle school age, there was it was still kind of a, a cool thing to smoke. I don't know if you you, you might not have exi uh, experienced the world in this. You know, way. I've, I've seen some 1950s movies, so I, <laughs> I know it used to be cool to smoke. I've never li I never lived through those times though. Yeah, so like there was a time where yeah. this was. The, I mean, it was yeah. like it was like a, the the cool kids of sorts used to smoke, and it's amazing to me how our society has transformed. And it w used to be probably that the smoking piece was a hard. Now, interesting to hear about the Salvation Army's history. This wasn't in the original statements mm. that like would have been developed with the early days of the Salvation Army. It wasn't until the late 70s, early 80s that this statement was added. Late uh, 70s, early 80s, 1980s? Yes. Really? Yeah, That's isn't that interesting? Late. That's yeah. very late. Yes. Now, there would have been, uh, it would have been restricted for Salvation Army officers, but soldiers wouldn't have had this restriction. Mm. So I actually ha I know some Salvation Army soldiers who signed this before, and it had nothing to say about tobacco, and they still smoked. Right, oh, interesting. Tobacco. Interesting. Like, well, my, my original statement said this, yeah. and so and so they still do. But it was often giving up smoking was the harder thing. But what's happened in our society now is that it's come around, and like we've like kept this these type of statements in there. But now smoking, the effects of it are. 
pretty clear on society. And now it's more of the popular thing. I don't ever go into re- – I remember my dad used to very proudly when he'd go into a restaurant say, we are in the non-smoking section, right? <laughs> do, do you remember I this? I do remember that. Okay. I remember going to Piccadilly back in the day. I don't know if people know what Piccadilly is. Yeah, but yeah. Sells, like, I feel like older person restaurants. <laughs> That's probably died out now. And, yeah, going in the non-smoking section because, by golly, we were non-smoking people. And we just made it very clear to everybody else. like that. Yeah. So as, we, as you step in – now, there's a connection, though, here between like – I. I think I've not heard much. Now, occasionally there'll be somebody say, oh, take a, take a drink. It's good for your heart. But generally, the, and my wife's really into some like healthy eating things and healthy eating podcasts and this type of thing. And generally, like people who aren't even Christians are saying, this is a good thing for you. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I, I think smoking's unwise. Right. But to me, tobacco is not nearly as problematic as alcohol. Mm. Now, culturally, we've, you're right, we've come around to where like very few people my age and younger would be like, oh, yeah, smoking is a good thing to do. Some still do, but like everyone right. recognizes it's a dumb thing to do if I'm doing it, but I'm still going to do it. But we're not there on alcohol, even though alcohol – here's the difference in my mind. Uh, smoking is bad for your health, but it doesn't affect your judgment in the same way mm-hmm. drinking does. Yeah, sure. Even just, even just one or two glasses of something – it inhibits your driving or your right, ability to right. react while you're driving, right? So even if you're not drunk, it still inhibits you. It inhibits your judgment um, much, much more. So smoking doesn't really. I mean, it doesn't inhibit right. your judgment. It, it's negative for you, bad for you. So it's interesting that's the one that we've shifted on instead yeah. of alcohol. Yeah, sure. Um, so and, I'm, and not, I'm not quite interested sure why. how you talked about like homicides. Like I've heard um, some psychologist, uh, Jordan Peterson, talk about this interesting, like saying like, oh, you want to cut down on homicides, you want to cut down on rape, and you want to cut down on crime, uh, take away alcohol. Absolutely. I mean, this is this is what when these things happen, there's generally uh, consumption of alcohol is involved when things are happening in a negative way in our society. I mean, yeah. am, I, am I being too strong? Alive no, now? no, no. I, I think it's even stronger than what you're doing. So I, this is this information is a little dated. But back in okay. college, I was researching this and the CDC said that about 47 percent of homicides were directly connected to alcohol. 47%. Yeah, 47%. That's almost half, right? That's a wow. massive number. Now, I think if you take alcohol out, you may not get rid of all those right. homicides, but significantly reduce it. And then the other thing is domestic violence and the connection yes. there. Yes. And one study said that 52% of women who had been abused by a husband said that their spouse had been drinking or by their partner, had that their partner had been drinking immediately before the abuse happens, wow. which makes sense. I, th- I think a lot of people, oh, yeah. you know, they may get frustrated, can handle it, but when your judgment's inhibited, anger's there, you know, it's harder to control things. And so, but that that's massive, right? That's massive. So could we cut down on domestic violence by 25, 30, 40%? Sure. And could we cut down on homicides by 25, 30% in the U.S. Right. almost overnight by cutting alcohol consumption? Right. I think we could. I think the data would suggest that. It's just, are we willing to give up alcohol? We love alcohol as Americans. Oh, man. We love it. Yeah. Are we willing to give up the Budweiser commercials of the Super Bowl? Oh, I know. That's, the, that's the real question. They are really good. And, 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 and give up sales. my gr- great nickname that comes to me. Every time I make a good play in sports, people say Miller time, right? It's like, Miller I, time. I, I really yeah. like Are you willing that. to sacrifice that, Andy? Yeah, I guess. Is it worth it? I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to like, get to a place where you realize like this could produce a good— I don't know if this is a good line. I just thought of this now. I haven't really thought through it. But I like the idea of— of thinking through pro-life concerns of like not just um, that we want to move to a place where abortion is illegal, but we want to move to a place where it's unthinkable. Yeah. And I don't know, like really the steps to take to move towards like people not consuming alcohol. I'm not necessarily, I'm not, we're not, I don't know. Maybe you are. I'm not proposing like we go back to prohibition. Um, But I do, I do think there are positive things about that. Interesting enough, Dr. Ed McKinley in his history of the Salvation Army in the United States shows this really interesting, several interesting facts. Like the Salvation Army was very involved 
like public displays supporting prohibition. Now, we're often in the Salvation Army very cautious about politics, and there's no chance we would do something like that now. But very clearly, like, saw this as a religious concern. Like, if we can help people move away from consuming alcohol, this would be a benefit to society, and it would help people in the long run. Do you think that's – what do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, so a lot of, that whole movement was driven by the church. That was right. Christians. Yes. Same, way, same way abolition was, to be fair. So yeah, it's not yeah. like – I mean, Christians are just concerned about the world around them. Um, here's the thing. Prohibition worked. Interesting. Okay, yeah. Now, what what did it do? It, it spawned some negative consequences, some negative. right? Yeah, yeah. But it worked. So alcohol consumption was significantly lowered. Uh, liquor consumption was down by 50%. You have cirrhosis of the liver and other diseases from alcohol were down significantly. So a lot of the negative effects from alcohol dropped. I think we see the same thing today, but it doesn't work because alcohol is so ingrained in our society right. that people are still going. You can't just cut, you know cut the demand or cut the supply, official supply and people will stop drinking it. So right. that's why it didn't work. And then it spawned illegal activity because of it. So, so it's I mean, it worked. It did work. Prohibition accomplished what it set out to accomplish, but there were enough side effects that obviously it got flipped. And I don't think it'll work. I don't think it'll work today um, right, to actually right. do it. But the move towards unthinkable, like that's that's the way. Like not that you can really make alcohol unthinkable, but the same direction of like trying to say. And is similarly, um, tobacco is not illegal, right? Yeah. There, but how do we as a society move to a place where we think of it as being? Look, I don't want to put myself through yeah. this. I don't want to put myself. Well, and, and this is what happened with. I think this is what happened with tobacco. Now I haven't studied this sociologically, but I think what we've done is made tobacco a low class thing. Oh, interesting. Right. So yeah, it's yeah, su- yeah, suddenly yeah. like if you're if you're part of a certain social class, like, yeah, sure, you do have people who are higher yeah. social class who smoke, but it's kind of been reduced. Like if you're going to smoke and you're a higher social class, you're going to have nice cigars or maybe a pipe. I don't know if people still do yeah. pipes, right? But, <laughs> yeah, sure. but you'll, you'll do more of that as opposed to cigarettes and, and like chewing tobacco. Yeah. So we've, we've kind of done that. And I don't think we'll do ever do that with alcohol because wine is part of, you know, right, part of right. certain, you know, certain uh, sorts of liquors are part of kind of upper class. But if we could ever get to the point where people in the upper class – uh, started choosing for health reasons yeah, to not drink sure. alcohol. I think that could, but I, I really think with that's what happened with smoking is it bec- it didn't become cool and what the socialites did, and so then it got pushed down to the lower class, and that's yeah. a lower class thing we don't want to participate in. It's interesting. I wonder if it'll come to a place where like just the the natural law argument wins out like that. It's ultimately not going to be in somebody's good, and I think this is where we are with human sexuality and same sex marriage, and you know, and all the proliferation of those type of ideas, like whether it's, you know, transgenderism and these type of things, is that at some point, I think it will cave in on itself. We're in the long game now. Like we're, now that Obergefell is a reality mm-hmm. and gay marriage is a sense of the law of the land, we're in a place where like, okay, we're going to have to wait, just like we did on, on abortion. And I said, we did. It's not like we were around in the 70s. See, I am a little younger. Yeah. Like we weren't around <laughs> in those times. Like I didn't, I didn't experience that time. I wasn't. Yeah wasn't there to speak out against it. Um, but here's here, like what's what's going to ultimately happen is like I believe the fruit of that is only going to be so beneficial. It's actually going to cave in on itself. Tim Tennant tells a story of um, JFK uh, getting this like rare plant that he had ordered or he had seen in another part of the world and asked it to come to the White House. And so when the when that plant came in, he took it to the chief gardener and the gardener came back to JFK and said, "Look, Mr. President, I'm sorry. Like this plant, it's just it's not going to bear fruit for another 40 years. It's 40 years before it bears fruit. So JFK said, "Well, go plant it today then." Right? Yeah. And I and I think that's where we are with even some of these arguments with the nature of what 
alcohol consumption will do with the nature of um, the way marriage is a, a benefit, a pre-political reality. It's a benefit towards our society. It's ultimately going to hurt. It's not going to bear fruit. And I don't know if that will be the case with alcohol, but if indeed like some of these statistics and some of the health benefits become more clear, I was listening to somebody yesterday who was talking about this, a, a long podcast, and this guy was saying like he advises people and he charges thirty to $50,000 to help them live a healthier lifestyle. Right. Wow. And, are we going to start a business like that? Yeah, let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. I mean, and, and these type of principles are a yeah. part of that. So it's interesting you say that because I have a guy who's part of a discipleship group I lead for my church. Yeah. He, he knows our position at the church, understands it, but say, hey, you know, biblically. In fact, we haven't gotten to the biblical data. That'd be interesting yeah. to do here. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. But say biblically, you know, I, I don't see a case for this. I said, well, that's, that's maybe legitimate. Yeah. But he's quit drinking now Interesting. based on a video he watched on YouTube that detailed what alcohol does once you consume it to your body. Interesting. And it wasn't it wasn't a Christian video. He wasn't looking it up because he was trying to find a case to quit. He was just watching health videos and now he's quitting drinking simply based on what it does to your body once you drink. Interesting. Which is which is fascinating to me. Um you know, as his pastor he wouldn't listen to my wisdom. <laughs> he's gonna listen to this YouTube yeah, video. YouTube video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Send somebody a video or a link. Like yeah, that so, can often but help. Ba- based on the health stuff, based on yep, what it yep. what it does to his body and he wants to have an optimal life. And but I, I don't think I think alcohol is so ingrained in Yeah, yeah human culture i don't think we're gonna see it go away ever uh, right. in, in our culture especially it's so ingrained in the american culture back to like the biblical piece and here's what i've said now you correct me if i'm wrong if you were my pastor and i came to you and said this you're like, oh andy don't say that but here, here I, i've thought like i i've abstained my whole life except for when i went to john stott's church and i took communion at all saints oh, cathedral no, it all fell apart. and it came there and it came through and i realized after it was in my mouth this was the real deal but it's the blood of Christ, so there when I went That's ahead the thing, is that, is that you're at the same time being absolved of your sins while you know while you're sinning. So beyond that, I've done pretty well. <laughs> and like some NyQuil that was pretty strong one Uh-oh. time, I don't know. But uh, I've I've often thought like I do. It does seem like people do enjoy it, and and I've thought in the new heavens and a new earth, like. Maybe, maybe there I'll enjoy a nice cup of wine. Wow! I, don't, I think you heard it here, folks. There it Andy is. Andy Miller the third. Looking, looking forward to his time for alcohol in heaven. That the commitment no longer applies. In the That's, right. That's right. I'm officially <laughs> signed off. Like William Booth takes it and says, "All right, you're in." Yeah. You're William in. Booth, you get up there and he's sipping on a glass oh, of something it is. good. You know, yeah. I don't. I, I think there's something too about the nature of like what comes from the from the earth and its yes, benefits I'd and i think that. like you know often talks about like the the language eschatological language that comes in through the poetry of whether it's isaiah i'm in isaiah right now in my own bible reading time and just thinking about the way the lion will lie down with the lamb the renewal of creation like yeah. there's something good about grapes and like the fermentation yeah. of grapes like maybe that would be something that could be we could participate in and the the negative effects of the curse of sin won't accompany yeah the drink. Uh, yeah. That's that's my that's my little claim. So I'm like I'm willing to wait. And if and if uh, it doesn't come, I'm okay with that. But let's talk about the biblical piece. Yeah. Like, like so often, like like I said, I have been apologetic. I've approached it in an apologetic way. I was like, okay, Jesus turning the water to wine. All right, there's it's definitely here, but we're actually need to take this extra step for others, particularly those who struggle with this in our society and in our church. And so I haven't pushed the biblical data that much. Now, but you had an interesting point you made in my office earlier today about. Um, the biblical witness about alcohol. Yeah, so if you go throughout the Bible and you look at every single verse, every single time alcohol is mentioned, okay, you're, and you just you look at those, you just pull those out, you copy and paste those into a document, and you look at that, you will be overwhelmingly impressed by how negative the Bible is on alcohol. 
Interesting. Now, certainly, you have these verses. Everyone loves to go to this. It was it Second Timothy, First Timothy? When yeah, Paul take says, a little you know, drink for your stomach, right? Yeah, a little bit for your stomach. And yeah. they're like, oh, obviously. So, like, I'm going to go to the bar tonight, and I'm going to, you know, throw back <laughs> a bunch of whiskey. It's like, so, so that's not what he's talking about there. Um, but, but that's like one verse. People want to pull out, or like the water into wine. So yeah, there's yeah. obviously like Jesus drank wine. That almost certainly, there's a debate here, but almost certainly had some alcoholic content in it, right? And I have no problem saying that. But you look throughout the Bible, and what's overwhelmingly emphasized is the negative effects, the dangerous effects of alcohol. Uh, so I, I think that's that's a that's an important thing to highlight. It's not that the Bible says you can't drink, but it warns you so much about drinking. Right. How should we approach it now in, in light of our cultural issues as well? There definitely is a distinction though too about drunkenness. And we haven't said oh, sure, that yet. Sure. Like there's a clear like like clear multiple times like not not to be drunk. Yeah. And so like that's part of like most like even here probably think at Wesley Biblical Seminary, our statement has something to like connect it to drunkenness. Drunkenness, yeah, and that's the emphasis. And I think, I think if you want to be thoroughly biblical, yeah, you say yeah. that, right? You say drunkenness. You say the, the Bible takes a pretty negative approach to alcohol in general. Right. Um, but it emphasizes drunkenness is sin. However, it also celebrates the goodness. And like you said, from the fruit of the vine, the the, the fruit of the earth, right? There's, right, there's right. something really good about that. Here, here's something else, though, that I think we right. often do. We talk about alcohol as a whole. The Bible never mentions distilled alcohol. Okay, talk, so, so here, educate me. Yeah, so if, if I if I had a biblical position, I do. If I have a biblical position and I'm simply doing biblical, it's this: you can drink wine. Beer is a question mark, but probably allowed. However, both of those need to have relatively low alcoholic content. Hmm. So it should be pretty low levels because biblical times would have been fairly low levels. However, n- I don't believe any Christian, and this is controversial, okay, should drink distilled alcohol. Okay, based on the Bible. So distilled alcohol, right? Is is I don't know what this is. You yes. Oh, so it's yeah. so you're talking whiskey, vodka, bourbon, okay, right? Any that's sort of that's that's, so that's stuff that you can have a brown paper bag around, right? Well, it's, yeah. it's just it's made stronger. So so for for beer and wine, you're gonna have a relatively low alcoholic content. Some craft okay, beers okay. would have a yeah, higher sure. content, um, but but for for bourbon, whiskey, all that has a very high alcoholic content, and it's intentionally made that way to induce drunkenness faster. Now, you, you can do mixed drinks, for instance, which is going to dilute that. So like a margarita is going to be diluted. Uh, like tequila. Uh, someone, someone in the comments, wherever you're watching yeah. this, comment on. Tell, oh, yeah. tell us, tell us how to make. I like some... you're doing a great job explaining this. Yeah, well, apparently, yeah, yeah I've, uh-huh. I've had a lot of experience with alcohol, having had it twice in communion in Episcopal churches. Okay, so there you go. That's well, you, my experience. Doubled mine. Yeah, it wasn't John Stott's church though. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, but but the yeah. So I think like distilled alcohol. In fact, any non-Christian I've talked with is like, oh yeah, it's great because you feel the effects of the alcohol faster. Every Christian is going to say, I like the nutty taste of this whiskey. They're going to like oh, emphasize like okay, the, gotcha, you know the subtleties yeah. they like of it. I just don't think any Christian should have under diluted liquor or alcohol okay um you know so like a whiskey bourbon all that because i don't i don't see anywhere in scripture that opens it up for that at that point it's not so much the fruit of the earth you're celebrating yeah it's it's something that is designed to induce drunkenness and you can yeah. have it in tiny amounts where it doesn't you can mix it with other things where it doesn't but in general i don't think christians should have those gotcha. substances now an extra piece on that like why i what i say to people when i talk about not drinking um as a as a teetotaler as a 41-year-old man, mm. I look back and I, I can't think of a time where I thought, man, that would have been so much better if I would have been drinking. Or, man, I really wish, I really wish I could uh, have been in a place where I said a bunch of things I regretted. <laughs> I, I, I bet I bet you'd be more fun on a dance floor at a wedding if you had oh, a couple man. beers in you. I, yeah. I bet, I bet you'd, you'd move a little more freely. Uh, yeah. I'll say that. <laughs> it's funny. You know, people think, like, in, in serving in the Salvation Army, often in a case where people are working through recovery um, people are coming right off the street. People who are, you know, I've preached to many people who are high or drunk while they're sitting in a congregation. So this is, but I've often had people who are in that world come to me and say, 
I was mad at you. I was mad at you for so long because I figured you were hiding your addiction really well. <laughs> like people just like, and after a while, after getting to know me, they'd say like, "What was this guy on?" And they would they, apparently there are con, uh, conversations about me. Now, just imagine wow. what it would have been like if I would have been on the dance floor. If I really would have had that, I yeah, don't know. they would have discerned. So, what was the consensus of what you were on from the I, they, You know, I didn't. Even if they would have told me, I don't think I would have known what it is. I'm not trying yeah, to play the angel card funny. here. I just don't really know. But it was generally like whenever I so often, you know, and this is a. a weakness like I have like okay so I haven't had those experiences I haven't had a so my wild oats day mm. exactly like period so I like you and I both you had two drinks in Episcopal Church me and one that's, that's it so when I preach though in a situation for people who are in maybe our adult rehabilitation center often people will say well you can't you can't do that Andy because you've never had that experience mm. right and I have to figure out a way to engage people. A lot of times it's through self-deprecation yeah. where I come in, I say, look, I know you guys think that I have no chat. I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed by what I haven't done in here speaking to you today. But yeah, it, it's something like trying to identify and just move to a place where I'm not, there's not a holier than thou moment. Like I'm a sinner. I was bound for hell. Yeah. And getting to a place of uh, getting to that ground has helped me with folks. But I've, I've just tried to actually just acknowledge it, acknowledge, okay, yeah, you're right, this is the case. But then we move back to a place where we recognize that we all have made mistakes, we all we all have, have sinned in our past, and we need to make sure we've moved through it. Well, and that's why when, when I'm talking with someone about yeah, why yeah, I don't exactly. drink, there's a lot of places I can go. I'm part of the Church of the Nazarene. I'm an elder in the Church of the Nazarene, so I don't drink. I'm, I'm in leadership in a church with a lot of people who have substance abuse issues in their past, so I don't drink. I'm sure I wouldn't like the taste of it. It'd be an acquired taste, so I don't drink. Uh, but here, here's what I often go to because if people feel awkward. They offer you a drink or you're out somewhere with people and they're like, hey, you mm -hmm. know, do you want to get mm -hmm. something? And I say, I don't drink. And they sometimes feel awkward or potentially right. feel judged. Uh, right. so, true. so what I'll often say is, no, it's not a big deal. If they want to know more, I'll say, I don't drink for a couple of reasons. And I, the ones I lead with are I have a semi-addictive personality. True. You put, yeah, in yeah. fact, somebody gave me somebody gave me a, a pack of chocolates yesterday, yeah. and I ate the whole thing like that afternoon. And 15, you also had 15, George's brownies, Gigi's brownies. Yes, your I daughter made some weekend. amazing brownies. I, I just, I'll, I'll, I just have, I will eat whatever's in front of me. I'll drink whatever's in front of me. I just go for it. Right in life, I'm just yeah, a yeah. semi-addictive personality. Sure. So I'll say that. I'll say, and so I don't know, you know, if I were to start drinking, what what that would look like, or it'd probably be fine until I hit a tough time in life, and then I'd probably lean on it too much. Right. The other thing is, I'll say is, I have uh, alcoholism in my. Family history. Sure. Now, the only person I know of is a great uncle, so that's a little ways away. So I don't know how that you know could get passed down, or would it be passed down? But if it is passed down genetically somehow, there's a chance that I have that. I don't want to open that up just yeah. for my sake. And so I start off with that, where it puts me in a position not of I'm holier than thou. It puts me in a position of I'm weak. Wow. I don't yeah. drink because I'm weak. Yeah. There's sure. a whole lot of things I don't yeah. do because I'm weak, not because I'm strong, but I think I'm strong in making a decision to guard against my weaknesses. Awesome. And so that's and I don't I don't say that as a rhetorical tool. That's legitimate. There's a reason. I mean, I'm I'm cautious of anything having a hold in my life. Yeah. So I drink at this point. I drink one cup of coffee a week, for that same reason. I don't want to get addicted to caffeine, right? And so okay. this is not. This is just something in my life I'm aware of. So when I lead with that, it sees. Then it, it helps me. In fact, it sometimes puts me at a place where we're like, oh well, I think you'd be okay. And they start giving me help on my you know semi-addictive personality. Okay. Yeah. Which is funny and, and uh, probably legitimate. And so that's yeah. So that's how I try to approach it. Is hey, I'm. This is not from a place of. I'm better than you. It's a place of I may be worse than you. Right. So yeah. I got to try to guard and be better. That's a great line. I mean, it's not just a line. I mean, it's an approach. It's a way you think through things. Yeah. And I think that that's like trying to give people a few, few, a few tools to work through this. Now, back to the denominational piece. Yeah. Like if we were, if if they came to us today and said, "All right, you get to start all over the denomination," 
would we include this? Would we include these private question. prohibitions? And I keep on using the word prohibition. It just comes to mind. Yeah. Um, like some people deride the, the Salvation Army for these type of stances. And of course, uh, oftentimes, not always though, there are similar folks who want to see our statement on marriage and family life removed and maybe anything that looks legalistic. I, I like what you're saying too about your denomination. And this is like how I approach things too, or your church, particularly at Foundry. You're, you don't like put this out the, out front in general, like this is what membership of the church is. And I think in the Salvation Army, like we need probably have different forms of being a part of the group yeah. first. Like, okay, we get in, you're a part of things, we're engaged here in this community, you're getting in a small group, we're working through things with you, like getting to know you. But then there is a place where you get to a place of becoming a member or a soldier participating. Um, that I think that this still is valuable. Let me tell you one way that this has also worked out is that uh, in the Salvation Army, we have wear a uniform. We have opportunity to wear a uniform. But so oftentimes, if somebody starts to drink or the, the form of discipline that's used is you're not allowed to wear your uniform. Oh, wow. Or you're not allowed to play in the band. And that's that's a, a little cultural thing that's a part of my tradition as well. But, okay, let me ask you the question clearly. Should we, would we include this? If we had to start o- start over from scratch, that's a great question. So I, let me, let me step back to my ministry philosophy, and then I'll, I'll give a clear answer to this. Oh, okay, okay. My ministry philosophy is: I want to see people take steps towards a full, whole life in Jesus. Amen. Into full spiritual completeness. You and I would talk about that as an entire sanctification. Yep. Whether or not people use that language, a fully surrendered, spirit filled life is what yeah. I want to see in people. And so I think, first of all, submission to things is good to get to that point. However, you ask people too much too early, and it can push them away in our culture. And so we, we want people to take steps. So, for instance, we have people serving and have been serving for a while at Foundry in certain positions, greeters and those sorts of things, who are not Christians. Right. They wouldn't claim to be Christians. Interesting. Yep. Or they would think they're Christians, but by their life and what they're doing and how they're living are right. clearly not Christians. By their fruit, they're not Christians. But we want those people to be involved, and we don't want to necessarily throw—now, we, we are having conversations and trying to help them move forward, but we want to help people. And we've seen this over and over again. People take a small step into community, yes, and they, yes. Want, they want to belong before they believe, so they begin to belong. They actually change how they live, they behave differently, and then they finally believe. Yes, we've seen yes. this happen. So that's what we're going for. And so I, to me, to throw up something at the beginning and saying, hey, if you want to start serving, if you want to be a greeter, or you want to get involved in any way, you can't drink. That's right. It's, yeah. it's just gonna, for a lot of strong Christians yeah, these days, sure. it's going to push them away. Yeah, yeah. We've had that happen uh, at the membership level. And so I think what, we, what I would do is not maybe make it part of membership, but if, I don't know about denomination, but if for my church, I would keep everything the same as far as leadership. If you're leading a, a yeah, small sure, group sure. for us— Sunday school class anything or, else yeah. yeah at least you can't do it around anyone else it has to be a very private thing if you're going to drink but we, we would encourage you not to if you step up beyond that at any level and we've got probably at our church about 15 people at that next level you need to commit not to drink yeah. it's not a salvation issue it's a stewardship issue wow so I think yeah. we would emphasize that so as you kind of progress up um, to, to avoid it but we have a number of people on our leadership team who would drink if they weren't on our leadership team like so they don't, yeah, they sure. Interesting. So they've used it. This has been a tool for them to. They're, they're, they're submitting to it, right? And they're 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 happy to do it. I think it's been. I think I think we always grow when we submit, right? Uh, to healthy things, and so I think it's a it's a good way to help any of us grow. I think there's a an, a story that's in my recent past here, my the last congregation I served, where a woman went through this process and she worked through it, and and it was it was a real like bridge for her to cross. Like she just enjoyed. Uh, wine occasionally and so when she, but she also was feeling called to be a member of the Salvation Army to be a soldier to take this extra commitment she wanted to wear a uniform she wanted to serve in ministry and and she wanted to take it but she had already been involved she was already part of the church so mm-hmm. I said look you're 
you're very much a part of things and like you you, you know we're not saying this is a sin we this is a, a stewardship issue that we're that's a part of our denomination as a whole 133 countries are a part of this like more than a million people have made this commitment so like we're not going to be able to change that just for you but what happened is she did submit hmm. and she described to me what a benefit it was to her like she's yeah. really glad and it's interesting too like as we've moved through this i've often been thankful that when i end up going uh even some small groups that abby and i participated when we, when we were pastors of a uh, savage army church in tampa we participated in uh, some other small groups and sometimes when we've gone to be with other people who are part of christian community who are drinking there's this kind of awkwardness like how we intersect ourselves yeah. in that group so i've always been thankful like when i'm around folks who aren't who are teetotalers myself it's like this we don't even have to think about we don't even have to cross that bridge like this is a a broad benefit for us for our community for our society so i like that where you're going with this and i think there's another thing too i'll highlight with the way that we think about this as a church and this is my challenge to the salvation army i don't know if i need to look at the camera and say this but um <laughs> here's what I, like in the salvation army world my friend jeremy roland who's a lay leader of the salvation army in lawrenceville a church i used to serve lawrenceville georgia and they've instituted another step like kind of an earlier step and i encourage people to think about this ahead of soldiership it's kind of like just this general commitment to be a part of the church like yeah where people will just say on it they'll come up and they'll be welcomed into church and they'll say generally this is my church home i'm yeah. making this my church home they're not making a commitment to our articles of faith which you know are also not just like some people would like the salvation army to move away from our wesleyan doctrine like we have a statement that says we believe that continuance in a state of salvation depends on continued obedient faith in christ mm -hmm. so we do not believe in eternal security in the classic calvinistic sense we believe in the possibility of entire sanctification and the promise of it we believe in original sin and the authority of scripture like we're not asking people even to go to that but if even if they're willing to say like hey this is my community I want to be a part of it. Yeah. Maybe we can come up with a way, like what Elijah's describing, for them to be a part of that community. So this, the Wesleyan Church has done this, by the way, officially. Oh. They have provisional membership. Interesting. Okay. And it largely was around this alcohol issue. I think it was actually, and I don't know all the ins and outs. I could be wrong on this. Okay. But I, th I think it was one of their big churches in the Atlanta area, which is oh, like the maybe flagship. Maybe 12 Stone? Yeah, 12 yeah, Stone is yeah. what it is, yeah. So they, they, I'm assuming it comes from, from them, that they had a lot of people, right? And you can imagine if you're that big of a church, yeah. um, you have tons of people who drink and want to be members still. And so they have provisional membership now, I'm guessing, led through some churches. And, yeah. and I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I think it's that kind of thing. I'm committing at a certain level, probably still saying I'm a Christian, I'm committing, but I'm not a full member. I don't know what that means in terms of church governance. But here's right. the thing. I don't think I would have it as a requirement for membership if I were to start a denomination. Interesting. But I don't think I'd start a denomination. I think I'd start a network, and I don't think I'd have membership, period. Because to okay, me, that's not even necessary. I, I'd figure out another way, to, to another way to govern, to do the church. Um, and I, just, I think I'd look at it differently. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, the church governance issue is huge. And like, yeah. I, that's, that's another podcast. But you're, you're part of Nazarene Church, which is like kind of worked much less restrictive than the Salvation Army. Like, yeah. we're, we're very much controlled. And I'm not saying this with derision. Uh, very much controlled from the top down. Well, it's like, an army, right? It's an army clearly structure. Clearly what yeah. it is. That is the structure. You go where we say, you do what we say, all property is owned by the denomination as a whole. So, And no no local church is a part of selecting or calling their pastor or keeping their pastor or, or deciding on that pastor's pay or anything like that. And so yours is a little bit uh, less like less controlling. Wouldn't yeah. you say Nazarene oh, yeah, Church? Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's more Baptistic, right? It's more it's more Congregationalistic right, in terms right. of how it's governed. It, it's a mix of Methodist and Baptist. So in those systems, like, but that's that's kind of like where I I think that that's one of the challenges that churches in the Wesleyan tradition, which have some connection broadly to the idea of of uh, I almost said inerrancy, uh, itinerancy, mm-hmm. died in that too. Uh, so. If they have this connection of being sent someplace, like it's hard to move away from that. But I do think there's something within society and human nature as a whole that produces something in the local body of a church that has buy-in. And, and I love the idea of networks coming together. But that doesn't mean that we get rid of the idea of teetotaling. Like Correct. that can still, Correct. like you said, the ultimate goal is for people to live holy lives. And that if they're able to participate in that, and one way to do that is to abstain. Yeah. And I think in a network, the idea of that would be multiplication, right? It'd be back to what denominations originally were, which is this this yeah. multiplying movement. And then we've we've solidified it. Most denominations have. Church of the Nazarene certainly has. And so if we got back to that, then anyone called up into any form of leadership would be making that higher level of commitment. Right. And yeah. so I think that's where the teetotaling, the teetotal uh, teetotaler position comes in. And so I think that's that's what we'd, we'd implement it in the future. If, if, yeah, if I probably we were need to correct myself network. like a little bit there. Like what I, I, I don't, I don't want to suggest that like, you can't be holy if you're drinking. I don't know if it's but I mean, how you you had a way that you like kind of like a a statement you used it was a few minutes ago describing like this is a part of the the living in the fullness of the spirit or something like that. Do you remember what that was? Or? Well, I, I think I said the the ultimate thing we want is for people to be to live spiritually whole lives, yes, fully surrendered to the spirit and spirit filled. That's that's what does we that want. mean not drinking alcohol? No, not yeah, at yeah. all. I, mean, just want, I want people yeah, to hear that yeah. from us. So we're not saying it's the case, but generally it has more fruit in life to not to not be a part of that type of I think of so, and I think it's a matter of wisdom. I think too often we ask, does does the Bible say I can or can't do this? Right, asking the question, right. is this a wise decision to make? <laughs> I think that's spiritual maturity comes in. And I'm not saying if you drink you're spiritually mature, but I right, think spiritual right. maturity starts to ask the question, is this wise for me to do? Is it beneficial for me, and is it beneficial for the communities I'm a part of and the people I'm trying to minister to? Right, right. And and for me, it's very clear: alcohol is not any of those things. And so yeah. that's this. It's a it's a wisdom decision based in scripture, based in a love for people. But it's a wisdom decision I've made, and I'm part of a denomination that's made the same decision. So I celebrate that. Uh, even yeah. though, like I said, if I started a denomination, I probably wouldn't even have membership in the same right, way. Right, right, right. But I still right. celebrate being part of a denomination that has that. Yeah, and it's it's so I hope you hear Elijah and I saying like this is not legalism this isn't legalism for legalism sake it's not like a yearning for the old days yearning for prohibition it's not like anything that instead like this is about something that and, and ultimately leads us to more a more fruitful life and yeah. ultimately like it's been a, i think you and i can both say we grew up in homes that had this experience this has been a blessing in my life yeah and i want to share that with people absolutely like i want i i am i'm not ashamed by it i'm not ashamed of it and i'm i'm thankful and not many people, and I'll say I have not done this as a, a preacher for 15 years. I have not preached on this subject, but something is just brought it up in my attention. Maybe it's conversations with you, but I think if I could go back and preach again, I think I would maybe once a year have some some time where I'd speak a little more clearly to this in the same way that, that we're doing here, not in a legalistic way. Instead, this is an opportunity you, for you to be able to experience the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Wow. Yeah, and I, th- I think when you look at the works of the flesh that are right around, I think right before the fruit of the Spirit, listen in Galatians 5, right. a category of those works of the flesh are actually connected to alcohol. Mm, so so uh, drunkenness and orgies would be. Orgies would be alcohol-connected. There might be one other. It's, it's escaping me right now. But there's actually one of those sections that, that commentators would say you have you have different categories. You have idolatry. You have this. You have the, uh, the alcohol one as well. So it's more than just drunkenness, it seems like, right, that Paul's right. addressing that. 
Um, yeah, and I, th- I think for any pastors listening to this, if yeah, you want to address yeah. this, I think addressing it simply from an addiction standpoint, um, our, our, our whole world and your whole church is filled with addictions, and people want freedom. Right. A lot of people don't want to be addicted to the things they're addicted to. Um, it's maybe not alcohol. Maybe there's other things. But I think approaching this from a freedom and freedom from addictions and freedom from outside things right. and freedom then for other people is a great way to approach this because we don't want to be legalistic. Um, this this is not a heaven or hell issue, but it is. It, it can be a quality of life and freedom issue for a lot of people, not just you, but other people as well. And it can cause other people to stumble. It can. Like it, it, it's so like there's can. something about that too that I think needs to be – kept in view and we didn't even talk about like what this is like on college campuses yeah you know, what this does like there's many things oh, that we so, probably yeah, so could negative things nuance some of this conversation differently so we appreciate people being gracious with us across this time like we're just feeling our way i think what i've been encouraged with was with speaking with somebody like elijah and some others here at wbs is like this isn't something to be ashamed of instead there is blessing that comes from this fruit and maybe from the Oh, it's kind of funny saying fruit of the vine or whatever, but it's like there's blessing that can come from being able to submit, submit ourselves to something that can be good for other people, good for yeah. ourselves. So I think that's part of where we are. W- want to add a couple no, more things I, before I we finish? Agree. I, I want to close just, the scripture here. I was just going to say, if, if anybody it feels like we've been ungracious or anything yeah. else, reach out to us. We'll go grab a beer together, <laughs> and we'll, we'll settle matters over a nice beer. We'll, we'll figure yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah. Non-alcoholic beer, right? right? They make that. You can do that. You so. know, I mean, many good things. Of course, you could bring up C.S. Lewis and all kinds. I'm sure there are many good things that have happened. So, you know, thank you for being charitable towards us, if you are, unless you're mad and throwing things at your computer screen right now and just cursing me. Like, just being charitable for us, presenting this view um, just kind of in defense. Like there's not something that's talked a lot about in our church. And I just wanted to give a little sense of what this might mean. Yeah. Um, so coming to us from, oh, it's kind of hard to get the microphone here. First um, Corinthians 10 verse 23. I have no right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but for the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising concerns of conscience, for, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of the conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in a meal without thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Amen. Thanks, Elijah, for coming on. It's been great. Thanks. Thanks for checking out the More to Story podcast. We'd love it if you take a minute just to share a link to this. Maybe there's uh, maybe there's something you could use as a conversation starter. Maybe you just want to disagree with Elijah and I. That's great. We're glad, glad to have you enter into the conversation. God bless you all. Thanks for coming along.